what is going on, headhunters, recruiters, search for motors, and uh, oh my goodness, what do I have right here? Oh man, would you look at that? This is Headhunters Live uh, coming back at you, and we are really excited. This is, of course, David Stephen Patterson here, my brother from another mother, Chris Wessel, Neil Lubovitz over here. But the man of the honor, the man of the hour, however, is Mr. Steve Finkel, and Neil was able to set up this interview today with Mr. Finkel, one of the original gangsters, one of the OGs in the recruitment training space. And many of you guys have cut your teeth on his, his, and many of his books. And uh, yeah, today in about five minutes, we're going to have him on and uh, interview with us live. So Neil, thank you well, for setting this up. So you know what though? It's a great story for everyone. Because it's all going to be about Steve when he comes on. So for a pre-show, the lesson here is make the cold call. Just do it. The cold calls work. Yep, look what happened. I cold called Steve, <laughs> and uh, it, it was amazing. And I and, and I linked in and, and mailed him, which you know isn't the best. A very personalized message, very whatever. I feel like a kid who's met like a childhood like you know, actor that he's just admired. I, I started in the industry with Anthony Byrne. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about this later. 30 Steps in the Place of Process. Steve Finkel, I think it was Larry Noble, I believe it was one, I, he'll tell us. Um, and I, a book on tape when Steve, I remember seeing his videos that he had those CDs of eventually original his videos and his voice. And uh, I'm like, hey, I don't know if you know me. You know, I have a bit of a trainer in here, whatever it is. Um, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. Uh, and, uh, listen, and as my brother said, whether he did or didn't, didn't make a damn bit of difference. He was so nice. And everyone says that about this guy, this guy, he's Steve Finkel, right? I mean, you see the reaction and everything in there. He takes call. He'll take call. Like he'll call. <laughs> he, he calls people on a regular basis that are fans of his that want to talk about things in the, it's incredible. So anyway, uh, I when I first talked to Steve on the phone, it was a bit surreal because he's talking to me in the video that I heard as a boy. Now, not that he's that much older than me, but enough that he was such an influence on me and so many people. And I feel really honored to have him on here and that he knew who I was and that he knew I was that boss. He said, hey, listen, if you were a dynamic sale, I'm not going to touch you. Uh, but now that you were the boss, let's talk. I listen. Uh, I'm so excited. So that's what I have to say. Yeah, it's going to be pretty busy. Well, he'll be, folks, for, for, for those folks who are just joining, he'll be joining us in just three, about three or four minutes. Um, he'll be joining us here live. We're going to talk about, um, well, about a lot of things. But first off, um, uh, his most recent updated book, Breakthrough 2.0, which uh, he sent all of us signed copies, which is. Uh, Pretty cool. We're kind of uh, 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 we're we're fanboying. We're fanboying. Fanboying. Yeah. <laughs> um, funny enough, though, like we're about to bring him on. And by the way, guys, we're, if you're watching this, make sure if you can comment down below, comment live. Um, everybody that mentioned that they were going to be here, we have tagged you or in the process tagging you in the Facebook groups as well as on LinkedIn. Um, if you're on our uh, website, it's uh, realdsp.me forward slash live. If you're watching there, you can't comment. You have to go into one of the social media groups that we are are, are, are uh, uh, we are going into here. But that said, if you have any questions, make sure to post them, and uh, Steve will answer any questions that you have. Uh, and uh, one last thing, when Steve comes on, we need to make sure that we tell him he looks just like Clark Gable because he mentions it. <laughs> and he gets out on live. Like, Do I look like Clark Gable? Does the lighting? And you look, and I said, well. But uh, about as much as I look, should like, we post uh, a link of who video? Clark Gable is just in case anyone watching isn't clear? On, <laughs> well, before we bring like him on, obviously, and I, do that, you know. before oh, yeah, we bring do. him they on, like, like, I have a great idea. This is very childish, but we used to do this when I was a kid. What do you say when Steve comes on? We give him the silent treatment, right? Just pretend. That he doesn't exist. We ignore everything. We do the silent chain. Or, or maybe he just isn't sure if his mic works or something like that. You're right. That would be but, you know, that's All right, David. And bef before we yeah, bring we're him beating the him enough. Dude, All you, let's get him on. Speaking of him, get him on. Yeah, we're no. beating him enough. Sorry. Uh, let's do it. Mr. Fink, let's put you right Dabney here. Coleman. There we go. Man. <laughs> Man, Mr. Legend. We genuflect, sir. We genuflect. Unnecessary. Of, uh, I am. I'm delighted to have an exposure to all of you guys. 
This is great. This is really, really cool. I remember, so, so Steve, I remember when I first got into the business, um, I, I did staffing originally. So, you know, first couple of years, I, I, I had no idea even what search was. But in 2000, I started with MRI and I was given two things. I was given a couple of your books and I was given uh, a Tony Burns 30 Steps in the Place and Process video series. You know, the guy with the, the red suspenders and all the different poses on the, and, and that was how I learned. That's how I learned search. Right. It was, it was, uh, it was that there really, there really weren't that many trainers out there. You know, it was, it was, did you, you hear, and a few did you hear me address management recruiters? What? Did, did you hear me as a public, did you hear me as a public speaker at management recruiters? No, I've never seen you uh, speak publicly. Just, just the books, just the books. Okay. Just the but books. Steve I, pioneered, I, right? Steve, talk about it. you pioneered the, the art and the science mixed of the whole training thing. There wasn't any, it was, I, I don't, I, you were really OG, man. Right. It's what I did was I combined classical sales training with this industry. Uh, when I first started, heck, long time. I wanted to be uh, when I was eighteen. I wanted to be the world's greatest salesman, and uh, I, I will not claim I've achieved that. But that was what I wanted. So I read everything I could, underlined, highlighted. I went into corporate sales, and the corporate sales people spent a huge amounts of money uh, spending me, sending me to. Uh, Dolly Xerox Professional Selling Skills, the Sandler Method, several of Tom Hopkins seminars, NLP, the most uh, classical sales material you can get. And uh, I was getting good results in my territory, so it wasn't like they were wasting money. But when I got into this industry, which was with management recruiters, I learned everything I could about the management recruiter system I got lucky because my managers were serious, well-trained salespeople themselves. And then I went back and pretty much re-engineered everything after two years based on what I knew. What, what problems are we encountering? Why do they phrase it this way? What's a better way to put it this way? How come we lost that deal? What steps have been left out? And re-engineered a combination of classical sales training and i believe i was the best trained salesman in the world with this industry and it, well, it turned out about, differently well if you think about how this is a two-sided sale all the time in recruiting that you know candidates and clients that you're talking to or just get conversations you're navigating and so much of your work is focused on like if I picked a theme, it was like the, the nuance of conversation and word choices and the sequence of words, et cetera, that are so important to sales in general, but then taking that and just at putting on this twist of how this applies to both sides of what many of us do every day. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a simple nuance in some ways, but it's, but it's very profound. Consider that we've got a product that can say no. Yeah. You don't have well, anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think, think about that. <laughs> Whatever difficult sales you might care to name, the product does not refuse to be sold. With us, it is really complex. So it's got to be done in accordance with classical sales principles. Sales as a repeatable process was invented and refined over a period of time. And frankly, I wanted to be the best salesman in the world and then i combined it with this industry and it's well, one of the things well. i noticed one of the things i noticed too with with a book like for example like with uh with breakthrough and, and that i read and, and some similar ones is you know in the, one of the early chapters you talk about how most of us have kind of like half learned right there might be like 10 great ways to do something and we find two or three are working and we just keep doing that and that you know, feeds us for a while and we don't bother to learn the other ones, right? Or just that there isn't there isn't any formal class or degree program or anything recruiting. So most of us, depending on how we learned it, we all have holes in our knowledge. You know, you read a book like this and you as your experienced recruiter, you see some stuff and you're like, oh, I learned that somewhere. That does really work well. But then you also see some other things where you're like, oh, I never thought about putting it that way. Or like, oh, that's a really good point. There's there's gaps in all, we're all self-taught to, to, you know what I mean? And we're at the mercy of whoever taught us. So there's there's always gaps in our knowledge, like no matter how long we've been doing this. The problem with whoever taught us is it may have worked for them, but does that mean it works for you? And the answer That's is, right. if, if it's in accordance with solid sales principles, it will work for you. But if they've got particular characteristics of whatever nature that makes it work, they may be transferring information that simply won't fly for you. 
And, and that's where you've got to have that solid foundation of what works overall conceptually rather than just here's what I do. I mean, there, right. there are and a lot what of you did that, was I started at Robert half in the industry and it was all here's how you do it. Do this, do that, do this, you know, your script, your Xerox, you have this. And what you did and why they got bought us your book. And that was that was a mandatory reading from our manager. What you did was the the this is the sales behind it. It's the same on the candidate side. It's the same on the client side. This is the science behind it. This is the why to do it, right? And that sum it up. That's how. That's what I got from yeah. you and Anthony. That's exactly right. Uh, Alan Schoenberg, president of management recruiters, uh, once said, "Everybody else we've had in our conferences has told us what to do. Steve Finkel showed us how to do it." And that yeah. was, he was a good guy. And I appreciate that very much. Now, um, now Steve, uh, two things. I do, I do have a question. Where I actually want to dive further into that specifically on the, on the sales side of the issue. Uh, Cause I think that's a, for a lot of recruiters, that's definitely their, for most recruiters, it's their weak point, right? Uh, Cause they're recruiters, not really salespeople. I mean, they are salespeople, but, uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you can make a good living in a good market, not being very good at sales, right? So, so yes. but when the market turns, then being a good salesperson, salesman is 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 really important. So, so I want to I want to dive into that. But before I do so, I just want to share one thing really quickly. I don't want to derail, but I do want to uh, just show one. This better not here. be a plug, David. Is this a plug for David Patterson's program? Here's an interesting question. Can you see me? <laughs> Oh, I can oh see it. Yeah, your lights, your lights are dimmed. This, this is oh, a. This, okay. right. this, this my is, screen is black. This, this is a. Uh, no worry, yeah, you sharing something. Can you yeah, see I'm it? Sure Steve? This is a. Um, for those you can see this, this is Ted Moore from our Facebook group posted this, and uh, and you guys sent a signed copy of your book to the legendary Ted Moore with all the best wishes in 2007, and uh, and I don't think any of us. Are indicated as legendary in our signed copies, sir. Uh, <laughs> you are offended. <laughs> here, here is a question. Everybody there? Ah, yeah, you're I'm back. My, my screen went black, and I was starting to think I said something inappropriate. You will no, soon. Okay. We showed you a signed copy, Steve. Um, David just showed a signed copy. Good. Tell me what you just showed, Dave. You didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's this. It was a signed copy of. Uh, so we had you guys signed copies of your book um, prior to the interview, uh, which we devoured over the holiday break. But you had sent Ted Moore from one of our groups posted a picture of a signed book that you sent him in 2007, and you said to the legendary Ted Moore. And now, you know, I need, I need to maybe write in legendary on mine. Anyway, I just thought it was was. Uh, funny. We'll get we'll get you guys one signed as well that way. <laughs> What did he write on yours, David? But, to me, he wrote uh, to your. Hang on, I'm going to fix mine right now. One sec. <laughs> no, what did he write on yours? Mine was very cool, David. Was yours not? Mine was uh, he awesome. Said, he left. He left room for us to write in extra words. But but that's it. Let's 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 dive into um, into more specifics. And so what what are things that I know a lot of recruiters, um, at least the chatter in our groups, a lot of people are are, are asking about. Business development. Uh, what are you guys doing to get clients? What, what what's the market like? Uh, and a lot of recruiters are saying, "Hey, should we we broaden out? Right? If they're working in IT, maybe work with engineers or whatever their industry is, you know, the, the common thinking is broaden the scope, create as many opportunities as possible." However, I remember uh, in your book, one of the things I, I read, which is interesting, is you mentioned uh, talking about narrowing your focus when uh, when the, when the market turns. And so I wanted to get your your thoughts on that. When so for your average recruiter. Who is seeing a big dip in their business? Clients, their clients aren't hiring right now, or the many, many of them aren't. What would you suggest they do in terms of how they approach the market? Should they expand? Should they narrow? Why should they narrow? Did you go into that? There, there are two answers to that. One of them is, as is frequently the case in life, it depends. Uh, mm. <laughs> you may have noticed that. Uh, the, yeah. the right answer is: Look, we do best when demand for the candidates that we placed exceed the supply. Is that a reasonable statement to make? Because there's a lot of people out there, what do they need us for? So thus, what you've got to do is consistently ask yourself, and this is covered to some degree in, in one of my books, consistently start asking either historically, what's been your hardest to fill position? Or as you look back, what's been the most difficult? What took you the longest type of position to find a person? 
and you narrow your focus that way. Now, if you narrow yourself down to where you've got, uh, it's too small, that's a little different story. But in terms of expansion, I'll give you an easy example, which creates to sales. We hear this all the time, and it slides on over to what we were talking about. Um, nobody returns phone calls. It's hard to get people on the phone. And the answer to it, therefore, is emails and emails and emails and emails. And if that doesn't work, you better emails or better LinkedIn. Uh, I suspect that's not true. Uh, what you need is a strategy of three different messages left to get people to return those calls. If you said to someone, how do you get people to return the calls? What's the answer? What is the message that you leave? They'll give you one. That's no good. Uh, this goes back to, uh, frankly, Elmer Wheeler's linguistic school of selling, which is that it is the words that can be tested. That's a key to the linguistic school of selling. If you take a message, leave it, and keep track of the number of times it's returned, and you write this down so you know the answer to this, then try another message. Try it 100 times. What percentage is returned? What percentage is returned? And then for a fourth time, once you figure this out, change the tone of your voice. We've all got a certain tone to our voices. If we change the tone to our voice, we get a different response. Think about what percentage of calls are returned. Let's say it's 10%. So you can say 50%, but it goes 10. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is kick your number up to 12%, and you'll get 20% more business. I mean, that, that's... Exact because you'll be talking to 20% more people. How difficult is it? And the slight difficulty, as we've mentioned before, is the message that I leave that will get a good percentage of calls returned is not the same message that, let us say, someone that's uh, 25 years old and female would get a good percentage of her calls returned. She might get better, she might get worse, but it would be different. And thus, what you do is come up with a three different messages that you can leave at one week intervals and for a fourth one take your best one change the tone of the voice and it's a strategy and if you do that uh, again i'm saying 10 to 12 percent could be 20 to 24 percent the point is uh, the concept that the answer to getting people on the phone is sending more how many emails do we get how many in links do we get how many good golly i mean we're this is not the answer the answer is coming up with genuine sales material that works for you and then obviously implementing it and it's testable. Now, I think a lot uh, so of people do the question is, is uh, well, I, oh, no, I'm going to delve further on that one because one of, the, one of the big issues a lot of recruiters are facing right now, uh, especially with the advent of um, email automation, link automation, and, and obviously even and, and making calls, you know, recruiters' jobs start drying up. What do you do? You hit the phones hit the email automations, hit LinkedIn. And so prospects are getting uh, pounded, uh, uh, to, for lack of a better word, from recruiters all over, right? So there's a lot of white noise. So um, so overall, you know, uh, voicemails aside, but just in general, if you're reaching out, whether email, phone, LinkedIn, in fact, we had one question here, what would you say in an email? So let's expand that out a little bit. What would you do to, or what strategy would you say is the best way to get attention on you when everybody else is trying to get the same attention from the prospects you want to work with? What would you say yeah. to recruiters trying to get noticed? Well, there's two different answers. If you are trying to get attention by sending emails, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's the way to go. Or, or if so, there's probably better people that either can tell you that. If you are trying to get attention by talking to a real-life human being, getting that person on the phone and talking with them, the concept that nobody return calls, you can't get people on the phone, simply not true. There, there are, again, depends on the person. But uh, you'll see two chapters in my brilliant book, Unlimited Clients, which precisely addresses coming up with the right answers, the right messages to get these people to return the calls that work for you. So if, if it's a matter of who can send the best emails, I've got no idea. But Steve, what about so many tech startups, someone wrote Kristen Giles, which is her buying audience, that they work virtual, they don't have a central main number. How do they go about orchestrating and getting that person live? That's what she's asking. 
okay, uh, if that's the case, you're going to have to do precisely the same thing, but send multiple numbers, multiple types of messages and measure it. The, the nice thing is we tend to leave messages or whether it be interests and emails or live messages, we send this kind of stuff based on what we're doing in our private lives, nothing wrong with that, or what someone else has told us to do that we've heard in a seminar from a manager or something of that nature. The answer is if you pick a message and you send a hundred of them, what percentage of the responses do you get? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows, but you write it out and you keep it and you keep track of that number. Try a different message, try a different message and keep track of it. And what percentage of the times do you get this back? And on a percentage basis, you'll get things that will work individually for you. Because keep in mind, the same message you would leave for a high-tech person is not the same as the message necessarily you would leave in accounting or sales or whatever it might be. It's a different story. So you've got to make adjustments based on works for you. And it's it's a measurable thing. A, a long and time Steve, ago, I think a lot of people... I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, Zig Ziglar once upon a time, many years ago, said uh, successful people do things that unsuccessful people don't want to do. What I'm saying here is, as an example, keeping track of the numbers so you know what percentages work. Most people don't do that, and they won't do that. I, I mean, that's the truth of the matter. But they do it, and it works. It works forever. And this, and the AB testing type of stuff you're talking about of try this, right. try that, try that. I think a lot of us like look for a silver bullet, like way to phrase an email. And then just, they want to, you just want to hammer that out to like everybody and, and don't like try like different nuances. And, right. you know, like I would have recruiters on my team when I used to have uh, several of them working for me and they'd be like, well, I've, you know, I, I, I tried all these people on this list. Cause I'd give them like lists of people to, to, to contact and, and I'm like, okay, well, they, they weren't looking at all different points of failure. So they were looking at, okay, I called all these people, I emailed all these people. Okay. But what did you say? What, what did you say in all the messages? Did you, and like, okay, try saying something different in their mind. They were thinking, well, I made the call. I said what I was supposed to say. I didn't get a result. So I guess I'll call more people or whatever. And it's like, Right. But there's adjustments exactly right. you can make there. Right. And, and I think, I mean, I used to think that way too. Like, I think we, we approach it very one dimensionally at first and, and, and well, not a lot of people want to do the extra work of testing different styles. Yeah, but don't forget too, beneath it all, Steve's still suggesting use, uh, use these methods to get on the phone with them. That's yes. different than selling via email. That's via that, Stop that. The goal is a conversation. Said, right, right. So now get them on the phone, get creative at how you get them on the phone. That's different than and do, selling and do well. email and that's doing that, which he doesn't want you to do. I, I, listen, we already know it doesn't work. We've had tons of shows about that, that old is new. Everyone does that. All right, back to you, Steve. And you can improve your skills too. I, the, there's not a person among us probably watching that can't listen to a new person on the phone, both sides of that conversation, and pick out some things they could do better we cannot do that for ourselves because we lack objectivity. And the answer to that, frankly, and anybody listening to this should be doing it, is to record your own conversations on the phone. That means both sides. Both A lot sides. of us are afraid to, guaranteed. Well, look, you know, I'll point something out. No matter who you are, your voice will sound terrible to yourself on the phone. Guaranteed. Okay. I, I've got some great audios and I must say they're excellent. But when I listen to them in the studio, the voice sounds bad. I don't know who's talking, but it ain't me. So, I mean, just be aware of that situation. But when you listen to yourself on the phone, and again, recording the conversations probably after hours, so it lends objectivity, you'll hear things you did wonderfully and less than wonderfully. And once you come up with that, then you know what to make corrections on. But once again, that's an easy thing to do. I think we can all understand that's a sensible thought process. How difficult is it? Not difficult. But, you know, uh, Emerson had a comment that says the uh, step from knowing to doing is rarely taken. This is a step from knowing to doing. And by golly, everybody listening ought to take it because it's. In, I do a lot of phone consulting where people mail me, uh, email me, recordings of their calls and I listened to them and get back and said this, this, this. But to some degree, if we're experienced, we could do it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, so, so I want to I uh, dive in on that. So, all right, so it's all about building relationships, right? So it's it's about getting them on the phone, whether you use email, LinkedIn, whatever, smoke signals, if that works, whatever, just get them on the phone, start building a relationship, or even Zoom, right? Zoom or phone, whatever. But sure. Uh, so let's we'll say you, you're, you're talking to a prospect. Uh, they may or may not have a position open, but you, you get somebody live, you know, and and uh, and you want to start building that relationship. So, uh, what what do you do? Like, so so, what would you say the best course of action in terms of maybe tone of voice, um, how you open, some questions to ask, and how you start uh, maybe start positioning yourself as one of those trusted advisors that everybody Are we wants talking to be. About clients or candidates on the client side. So you you get hey. so you, you get somebody live. Well, I'll give you something very interesting. Uh, historically, historically, pre Steve Finkel, uh, there, were, there, were, there were two directions you could go. Uh, you could market a candidate. Here's a great candidate. We know about that. Or you could say, here's why I'm the world's best recruiter and my company's best. And let me tell you what wonderful guys we are. Now, that's not the verbiage, but that's what you would do. And I would venture to say that the calls you made, if you separate that out, that's most of the calls. Uh, there's a, a different type of call. If, if it is implemented right, that works wonderfully for me. And that's just, it, it, scratch that. We'll work wonderfully for you. <laughs> right? Okay. And, and it, it, this is covered. It's called an assumed need call. And you've got to be quick enough on your feet. It's, you know, my name is Finkel, Steve Finkel. I'm in the executive search business specializing in, and the reason I'm calling Bob, all right, the, use the name as part of the uh, Carnegie Relationship School of Selling. The reason I'm calling Bob is it had come to our attention that your firm had a need in the accounting or accounting management area. And I was simply wondering if we could be of some help. Now think about that. That is an assumed need call. The way to think is if I say this, whatever this might be, speaking conceptually, what's he going to say? Well, he's going to say one of three things. He's going to say, oh, yes, yes, you're talking about our chief financial officer. He left us three weeks ago. He's going to say, I'm afraid you're incorrect. We really don't have a need for anybody like that. Or maybe, maybe he simply is going to say, gee whiz. How did you know that? There are only three people in our company that know that. I'm one, and I know the other two don't talk. How did you know that? And you know, funny enough, that was actually my go-to when I first started this business when I was making phone phone calls and, and my voicemails. It was it was basically that. Um, that's I, I, think, I think a lot of it. Yeah, it's that assumption. You know, I know. You know but um, I've got a question here. At, um, my screen went my screen went black. Did I say something out of sorts here? What's the story? Oh, no, no. I, in fact, I still see you. You're still right there. Um, ah, we're back. All right. So, well, so, so uh, I know that for. Where, where uh, did you start? Let me, let me skip over. David, did you start with management recruiters? Did, yeah, did well, in search. I started with Labor Ready originally doing staffing in 97. But yeah, 2000 is when I started with MRI. Uh, I have done 30. I suppose the, the proof that I've added somewhat substantially to what was originally starting was an MR system was I've now done 30, 30 uh, public speaking programs for management recruiters and work with quite a few of their offices. And I'm sort of guessing, putting aside your own genius, you may, that may have filtered on down. But again, it's more sophisticated than what we're talking about because you've got to be prepared for those three answers and responding properly to those three answers. And that assumed need call you know, if you, you parachuted me into Cleveland, Ohio and said, Steve, get some business, I, I, I would be, wouldn't say, where are the candidates? I don't have any. I wouldn't be saying, here's why I'm a great recruiter. I'd pick up the phone and start looking, working with assumed need calls. And someone's going to say, oh, yes, 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 you're talking about our chief financial officer. He left us three weeks ago. And as Chris mentioned, this is only an opener. You know, from there, we all know about qualifying them for future business. We know about the possibility of their becoming a candidate. I mean, there's a lot of other directions, but that's a great opener. And it, it's more complex than it seems. Now, uh, now for me, I know that uh, 
making that assumptive call. I know in social interactions, oftentimes when you, when you interact with a stranger or you approach a stranger, uh, if you assume that you're interested, interested in assume, they want to hear what you say. Assume. And agree, you don't, you don't want to be arrogant about it, but that assumption does uh, uh, d- does have a power to it uh, or a gravitas to it. And I know on the phone, it's the exact same thing. But at the end of the day, you're still going to get some folks who say no. So Mindy Rector had a question. So let's say you do that. Let, when let they me say double no, back. Oh, yeah. Let me double back. If he says, remember our three answers, yes, no, or gee whiz, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. If it is no, your information is incorrect, we don't have a need right now. Uh, again, quick on your feet is, gee, I'm a little surprised. Our sources are usually fairly accurate. May I ask, did you hire someone recently? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that might have been. Uh, again, these are, this is called the process school of selling invented by the way by john henry patterson of national cash register probably a relation who invented selling if he says this what about this and what are the options and how do i respond to those options that's what i mean when he says your information's wrong you just go to a specific different figured out direction to go it's the process school of selling okay so it's so it's, it's basically the opener right yeah. uh so so you, you open, let's say there, there is a need, right? So, so, so uh, let's say that. So where do you go from there? So there's a there's need, maybe a current need or a future need or what have you. Uh, what then? Like how, how would you direct the call from there? Well, a reasonable question is to whom would that position report? I mean, that's a sensible process to follow, you know, because oh, sure. he's, you know, and you better figure that one out. And, and, and at that point, you just simply, you know, start qualifying the search. There's no purpose in getting a real live search. If, I mean, taking the time to do it, if you don't qualify this individual, for, you know, how long is the standard? How long has the position been open? Do you have any people in contention? Why do you want to take a full search? If the answer is, it's been open for six months and we've got nine people in contention. I, and, and it's the order. You start off qualifying the search before taking the search so you know that mm-hmm. it's worthwhile to actually take the search. I, I mean, I okay. without going, that's unlocked logical. Well, okay, so, so let's 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 dive into that because uh, I know that in in this market, a lot of people will take anything they could possibly get their hands on. So, um, and I know in your book you talk about in when when the market turns, it's more important to qualify your searches than ever before. So, which which I think for a lot of recruiters is. Um, uh, is uh, uh, counterintuitive because they think in a down market, take anything you can get your hands on and cross your fingers. So with that being said, uh, we had a, uh, and by the way, before I get to this, uh, somebody posted in our group, they posted an email they received from another recruiter. Uh, and the email was, I'm going to quote this. I noticed your company was searching for a distribution manager some time ago and was wondering if you still were hiring for that position. Okay, not bad. If so, things have slowed down for us. So for a limited time, we're offering a recruiting fee. Oh, no, I was loving yeah. it, David. I loved it in the beginning. I thought, I said, what's wrong with yeah. that? Oh, no. That's bad. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a crappy recruiter, can't get business. So until the end of the year, we're offering 10%. Obviously, that's steak knives, David Ginsu knives. Steak knives? I think that's Neil, Neil knows the answer to that one. <laughs> But that's it. That is said, that's obviously I think an outlier. But you're you're an average recruiter. You, you get a live one. Somebody has a position open. Um, what are some of the big points that we should qualify on? Because I think you're right. In a bad market, it is so easy to waste your time. And it's and and in this market, you can't uh, you can't afford any mistakes. Or, or at least or at least you have less elbow room to or, or wiggle room to make mistakes. Right. So how would you how what should they be qualified? Put it aside. Where, where you have an intuitive feel and you want to take a flyer and you're highly experienced and you've got a gut feel, putting all that stuff aside, don't waste your time on a long shot. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. You know, it's, you know there's an old phrase of Damon Runyon that goes, the race is not to the swift or the battles of the strong, but that is the way to bet. And, uh, you know, and, and that's the way to bet. You bet where your odds are highest. That's all there is to it. Now, I'm forced to answer something in 30 seconds or whatever time we have. Uh, the reality is uh, the book, Real Recruiting, Winning Search Strategies, the entire first third of that book, it's a 350-page book, but the first third of the book really is about 
selecting the assignment on which to work and orienting the client to work with you where he moves quickly and extends good offers and proceeds as rapidly and you get an exclusive. That's a whole first third of the book, Real Recruiting. Uh, but, you know, to pick a couple of easy ones, and they're easy ones that I think are standard stuff in the industry, but you ask up front, don't take the search assignment, and then at the end of the search you go, have you looked internally? Well, that's mm-hmm. right. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to pick on anybody, <laughs> but good golly, you just spent 15, 20 minutes taking the search, and at the end of it you ask, have you looked internally? This, this is uh, not a good use of your time. So early in the game, logically, you've got to find out how long has it been open? Who have they looked at? How are they? Do they have anybody in contention? Have they looked internally? The usual things that I think we all know, but it's the order and the priority that will get it down. And then if you go, okay, maybe, then we start looking at a search. And so many of your books, prospecting is the very first step in sale. This is before anything. It's there for a reason. Right. It's 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 the most important thing. You you that's and your nail. That's what you're talking about over and over. It's exactly it. Everything, right? It, it is. And yeah, look. The, the more searches you get, prospecting, the more you've got. If you've got three searches, how do you select the best one? Oh, you got three. What if you had ten? You would do a better job. And and that's where the entire book, unlimited clients. The subtitle of it is Perfect Prospecting for Today's Recruiter. And if you panic, if you if you panic in a down market and, and, you, and a, a mediocre job sure. comes along and you, you you work on that search and you spend a week, two weeks spinning your wheels and you still don't make any money off it, think about like, but you're like, well, I'm doing something, I'm getting somewhere, like I'm, you know, but you could have spent that rest of that time finding better options. Either way, in both of those weeks, you made no money, but maybe you got closer to it. You know what I mean? Like, but we think, oh, I got something I'm working on. I'm doing something. I'm getting somewhere. Right. And emotionally, it's a downward spiral for you. In your own mind, you're going, gee whiz, I'm doing great. I'm picked up search. I'm working on it. And and nothing happens. And you go, well, heck. Look back. Did you make any money? No, you didn't. (laughs) Everything's not attitude, but by golly, attitude is something. And working paid. Downward spiral of, of, of failure is a real thing, uh, in, especially when in a down market. Right? It's really easy to, to spiral down if you let yourself. So your attitude is, is a big one. Um, but all right, so, so, he, so he, here's the next question. I don't want to push back on this a little bit because I want to not push back, but I want to dig a little further into, into qualifying because one of the issues I think for a lot of recruiters have is that they reach out to a, a new prospect. Now, maybe they've been in touch with them for, for a long time, and there's a lot of value already established. They're a different brand or a name. They know them. So it's a lot easier to qualify, right? But let's say you reach out to somebody and you get them live, or you've never reached out to them before. They don't know you from uh, a whole new wall. They've got a ton of other recruiters in their inbox. They already have a recruiter probably that they've used before, and probably like, like they probably like, or just, or, or at least have gotten some success out of, and they use them. So in those situations, um, you know, it can be hard to get to the point where you're qualifying because you don't, you haven't built up enough of that value yet for them to take the time, right? So, what would you say if, if, if you, if there's a, if there's a position, there's a couple of the recruiters working on it, you're the new guy in, 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 in this scenario. Um, what would, you know, instead of just maybe just walking away, if there's something that as a recruiter you think I can, I can get, I can fill this, no problem. What would you do to maybe establish yourself in that conversation? Further, so you can then qualify and start to show that that value. You know, did it? it, 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 it I mean, yeah, David. Like, the, like, circumstance, the circumstances you're describing mm-hmm. are such that you're probably not going to fill it. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. You know, it, it's it, you know, it's, you're saying they've got candidates in contention. They're working with other recruiters. They're established with other recruiters. Answer. Call them back in a month. See what happened. Find someone else. I mean, that, that's where to some degree, uh, many people in this industry, and that's where sending more and more emails is a matter of quantity rather than paying attention to quality. But there's something to be said for quantity. It, I mean, we all know that phrase of a sales funnel. If you, I presume we do, if you get more prospects and then you select so that what you work on is useful and your chances of filling it are high, you're in good shape. But you're saying the chances of filling this one are low. And that's the truth. What you're describing to me, your chances are low. Forget it. I, I mean, other than 
yeah, get back with them a month and say a month ago you were looking for this. What did you do? But don't, don't sing. Uh, you know, you're saying I want to have a perfect marriage, but I'm married to the wrong woman. Well, I got news. It ain't going to happen. I mean, you know, this, this is I want to put this deal together, but the odds are horribly against me. No, find someone else. Okay. Uh, so, so we have a question here for one of our, our, our members. Um, are you willing to share some of these questions? I'm assuming uh, they're talking about some of the qualifying questions. Uh, so what would you say are some of the top questions you should ask? Uh, beyond say, you know, uh, it's, uh, how long has it been open? Who else is working on it, if any? But beyond that, right. what are some of the – and obviously, are you looking at anybody internally? That? But beyond that, what other questions can the recruiters ask when they're qualifying? A nice question to find out how that is a better direction to go is just simply say, John, let me ask from the point of the first interview to the point of the offer, how long would you expect it would be? And that's an interesting question because it, it gives you a lot of uh, all sorts of information. One is if it's too long, at least you know about it. And if it's really long, you decide not to work on it or to coach the candidate that it's going to be a long period of time. The other side of it is when you get to the point of speeding up the interview process, which may be indicated, it will tell you when to speed up the interview process. The answer to that is when it goes measurably beyond what you were originally told. And that's a real good question to ask about that. Um, we've all seen long interview processes that will happen. Find out about it up front and, and just tell them in our experience, it, it typically moves faster. But the main thing is you'll know how long it will be, and that will help you to be reasonable as to when to pull things away. Does that sound sensible? And then not you? a lot of them can ask, a lot of them can answer that question I've found. Over the years, I've found a lot of times they're not really sure, which is a sign, which is a an indicator in it itself is. of how, how much they've really thought this through and how, how realistic it is and how realistic their timeline. I had an example of back when I used to, I started in temp staffing and I was mm -hmm. staffing production temps for a, a production manager at this company. We're sitting in his office and he's talking about like, Chris, and I, Chris, I got to hire like 20 people this summer, blah, blah, blah. I want to go. Part of me is like, yay, 20 temps going to work. This is great. But then I'm like, okay, well, so, all right, well, we've got like seven weeks left in the summer. And I assume you're not going to start people in the last week of the summer. So we got 20 people. Like how many could you realistically onboard in a given week? He's like, oh, geez, I don't know, like maybe two or three. And I was like, John, here's a calendar. <laughs> was, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I, I had a decent relationship with him. I'd hired for him before, but I was like, ah, the math doesn't work out on, I didn't say you want to do this. But like, I feel like that's an example of like, Whenever, whatever type of hire you're trying to do, like how well they've thought out how this process is going to flow is very indicative of how likely you are to be successful in filling this job. You're exactly right. Yeah, that's a very good point. And as I say, it will also tell you when to pull the candidate away to speed up the interview if, in fact, you need to do that. Uh, if they tell you it's a four-week hiring process and you go, okay, I don't like it, but I'll go with it. At three weeks, you get nervous. Should you pull the candidate away? No. They, they told you four weeks. You're at three weeks, but if they told you two weeks and now it's three weeks, that's a whole different situation as to when to pull that yeah. candidate away. And that will help you move the process faster. A lot of because they should have them, some, some freaking backbone. A lot of workers don't have backbone because they're, they're desperate. And, uh, and, right. and, and desperation is, is, not a, is not very attractive. Um, well, with that, that said... That's a comment about prospecting. I mean, you, you know, the, when you prospect... It, it gives you strength. You can say, listen, Jack, you got people in contention. Call me in a week. Goodbye. I, you don't say that. But, I mean, but the I, point uh, is you've got, you got others. I, you know what? There was a book. Uh, the famous uh, Myers was his name, a big prospecting guy. And I, 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 some, his quote was really amazing. I'd rather be a master prospector than a wizard of speech without anyone to tell my story or conversely telling it to the wrong people. And that combined with you and Tony, but all that stuff, that's exactly it. Spend all the time up there, qualify the heck out of you. The choices, like Steve, really, like I, I keep going. <laughs> I, think well, I, can, yeah. I would say this. Um, I do want to ask Lee, I do want to uh, uh, steer this towards candidates. Uh, I do have a question about that, but I do want to say one thing. Um, you talked about uh, you know being tough and, and asking some hard questions or qualifying heavily, but at the same time, there's the quantity piece, which is you got to, prospect heavily the more prospects you have in your pipeline the the, the better the, the better position you're in and i think a lot of it comes down to 
I use this uh, analogy a lot for dating. When you're when you're a young man looking for love in all the wrong places, uh, one of the best things you do if you're if you are truly looking for someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you have to talk to a lot of people. You might get lucky and, and marry your high school sweet, sweetheart, but at the end of the day, you gotta talk, talk, and talk, and talk, talk, and just and continue. Even people that you would not be attracted to, because you're gonna get better at talking to strangers and be more interesting and more self assured, and then you'll be more attractive. And then eventually, when you meet that one, then then, then there you go. And I think a lot of times on the prospecting side, it's the same thing. You got to prospect, prospect, even companies you wouldn't ne maybe necessarily want to work with, but you want to get that practice in because the more you do it, the more you've got available to you, then the stronger you are when you're in those conversations. That's anyway, just my, my little side note there. But uh, I do want to ask you though on the candidate side because a lot of recruiters, it's, it's, it's it, normally in, in a downturn, you think, okay, tough to get clients. Got it. That's, that's, that's most people would agree with that. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it can have an effect on candidate psychology as well. Like I've, I've heard a lot of candidates that are right now as not the unemployed ones, but the ones who are employed can be hesitant to make a move because they're concerned about first in, was it, was it uh, 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 last in first out? I think is the, is the, is the phrase, right? Life and up. so yeah, they're they're a little nervous. So, on the candidate side of the equation, how do you? What are some of the changes that you see in the psychology of candidates in a, in a downturn, and how should you approach it as a recruiter? Okay, let me double back slightly because you made some reference to the fact that when you were dating, uh, you had to talk with a number of people so you get smoother and more conversant and able to speak to people properly. Mm -hmm. Um. You, we should be doing practice of what we need to work at in what's called deliberate practice in a role-playing scenario. And the reason I say in a role-playing scenario, if, if Chris and I, as an example, are a couple of recruiters, I ought to be picking up the phone, calling and endeavoring to recruit him. And he ought to be, now again, he's a person in the office, but he's taking the part of the candidate. And there's a trap, what's, you know, easy trap. Um, there are, uh, you, will, you will give referrals to three people, uh, if, meaning recruit weeds, but only one at a time. The other person's got to say who else, who else, who else, before you get numbers two and three. Now, that, that's an easy trap, but I will tell you as a fact, nobody's going to believe it about themselves, but 40% of the people in our industry do not say who else. They're so happy to get one, they don't yeah. even say who else. And, and everybody goes, well, it's somebody else. That's not me. Well, <laughs> the, the answer is Chris has got written out in front of him. As an example, you will give referrals to three people, but only one at a time. The other person has got to say who else. He can come to me and say, Steve, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I was going to give you three leads. You, you, you stopped at one. What's going on? And that's where you come back and say, well, now, Chris, really, you know, this was role playing. When I'm really on the phone, I always say, who else, who else, who else? Yeah. Uh, here's something you can write down if anybody's taking notes. Uh, a, a single mistake in this business can cost you a fee. But the same mistake made over and over and over again will cost you a fortune. And the only way you can figure that out, putting aside listening to yourself, which we've addressed, is in role-playing with feedback. If you want an analogy of feedback, think of bowling. Everybody knows what bowling is, where the lane is covered with, with a curtain. I, I mean, that, that is what role-playing without feedback is like. If that were the case, you couldn't see the pins fall over. How would it improve your skills at bowling? And how long would you keep on bowling if a curtain covered the entire lane? And, and that's what I mean when I say to improve, we should all be doing role playing with each other, with traps and deliberate practice and writing things out. And, and you don't need to role play the entire deal. Uh, for example, if I'm great at asking for referrals, but I'm not good at overcoming objections. Well, you know, I don't need to role play everything. What I need to do is make a phone call and Chris says, well, Steve sounds good, but I'm happy where I am. And then I've got to go into my overcoming objections or alternatively, if Chris is good at that, but he doesn't ask well, he doesn't ask well for referrals. He doesn't get referrals, recruit leads. We better- And, and another point of that, that so he's practice it. 
And, well, uh, speaking of role plays, by the way, whenever you role play, I always want to bring a safe word. Mine is pineapple. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, anyway, I have, no, I have no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Even Steve is safe, David. I thought this show was going exactly. so We almost made it. We almost made it. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Um, but, but look, at the end of the day, guys, you know, we all know recruiters are, are a salty bunch, especially the older recruiters of veterans. You know, if uh, we're, we're like sailors in a lot of ways, it's one thing I like about this business is the older recruiters were like grizzled, salty sailors who have seen some shit. Excuse my French. Um, but anyway, but that said, on, on a role playing thing, one thing I, I do want to go back to candidates real quick, but I want to say one thing that helps me. Um, I have a, a voice, I have a speech issue, and I've had it first since I was a, a child. Uh, apraxia. And so uh, why I say this, because for me, what I found when I was uh, hitting the phones pretty, pretty heavily, I had to make sure I role played in the morning before I hit the phones because I had to warm up my mouth. And for a lot of people, even without a speech issue, if you, if your mouth isn't warmed up in the morning, uh, you know, role play at the end of the day is oh, it's still decent, but it's better than nothing, but it's almost useless. Right. Do it in the morning when you first get in, before you make a single phone call, role play with your buddy, warm up, right? and then you're ready to go. Um, yeah, that's my, my little uh, uh, side note on that. But candidates, um, we're, we're running short of time. And I want to make sure I, I at least hit the candidate side because that's for a lot of recruiters. There's a lot of minefields with candidates right now that they wouldn't necessarily see because everybody thinks about prospects and clients. What are some of the um, uh, uh, landmines with candidates in this, in this, like in a, in a downturn, in the market terms? And how do you deal with it? Okay, there's two answers to that. One is how do you find the candidates? Uh, I, I have to say that if you find candidates through spending your entire life on LinkedIn uh, or, or constructing Boolean strings, uh, that's, mm-hmm. you know, what we do for a client is what he cannot do for himself. That's a, that's a fair statement to make. And the sourcing people found out a long time ago your clients would pay more money for their services than you will. You're not the only guy that can get on LinkedIn search or that can do Boolean strings or that is trained by various people on how to find candidates and send out emails. That's, that's mm-hmm. not the way to go. Uh, in, in the early stages of any technology, uh, uh, actually, Andrew Grove, the guy that wrote into, uh, was found Intel, wonderful book, uh, Only the Paranoid Survive. <laughs> great title, uh, said that in the early stages of anything, somebody jumps on it and people work and hype it up and everybody with a gadget works double time to persuade you that this is the answer. And mostly after a period of time, you'll find that it's not what it was cracked up to be. Under his words, you need to have a balanced approach. And the balanced approach means finding candidates that are not available through LinkedIn or through Boolean strings. I mean, how do you find these people, for goodness sakes? And the answer is, if you do really sourcing identification through conversing with other people, such as different ways of getting referrals and leads and quite a number of others as well, you'll get candidates that are not inundated with all these calls. Uh, that's covered extensively and frankly, one of my books, <laughs> but, but, but it is there. Uh, if I were you, though, frankly, I would jump on if I'm interpreting this properly, putting aside having a balanced approach, which many people do not have. I would give some serious consideration towards candidate concerns. Uh, and Chris knows this because it is in Breakthrough 2.0, which he's, which he's read. Um, a, a candidate should not only be moving to something, he should be moving from something. Everybody with me on that? And, and if, if, he's, if, if he's not moving from something, your odds are not good. And, and candidate concerns, this is a pure John Henry Patterson process approach. There is a softener. There's another softener. And then there is a closed-end question softener, which is a third softener specifically designed for non talkers, which actually, I always like it because it combines four different schools of selling into one particular type where you can pull out the exact concerns of the candidate. And obviously you've got to do, you've got to get specifics. It's not enough to say, 
you know, growth is not good. What does that mean? You, you need to pull out some specifics. But I go to work on candidate concerns in any market, but this one particular. One of the most, you talked about, you're, you're hitting downturns. Uh, one of the most interesting things I ever did uh, in this industry was, was doing research on a product that became later known as Turbulent Times, a manager's guide for navigating difficult markets. Uh, great audio series. Now, most of what I do, very straightforwardly, I don't mind saying, I invented or combined with classical sales training with this. But that product, Turbulent Times, a manager's guide to navigating difficult markets, uh, I interviewed about 45, about 45 people in our industry that had been through over 30 years of experience in this business on getting through a recession. And it was interesting. You think about that. Who's the most experienced person you know in this industry? That's, that's what I asked. And then I would interview them. I'd, I'd meet them. I'd fly out to them if they're in the area, talk on the phone, and I'd ask these questions. Uh, Confucius had a comment that goes, a, a single conversation with a wise man is worth a month's study of books. Now, think of that. That's interesting. And I met 45 of these people, and these were smart people. And I said, how do you get through a recession? What problems do we encounter in this industry? How do we know that a recession is on the horizon? And when it happens, you as a manager, how do you handle the emotions of your staff? I mean, it, it was just fascinating to talk to these people. Uh, and as a sub-comment, which crosses over, what they said, it obviously broadened beyond getting through a recession, was that the single greatest problem in this industry is that people quit learning at an early stage. Uh, Walter Phillips, a guy that had about 40 years of experience, told me he believed most people quit learning in this industry at two years. And whether it's two years or whether it's five years, most people really do not expose themselves to new material. And if they do, they don't take the steps that they need to do to perfect and improve their techniques. Mm. So it was a great, it was a great conversation with these wonderful people. So now, Steve, Steve there's um, a question in that. Yeah, oh, sorry, David, you're going to ask Breakthrough 2.0. There's a great question. I thought it would be a good segue into it. But I'm sorry, David. All you, brother. Oh, yeah, I, I, actually, yeah. So I'm, I'm about to start wrapping up here. But if you have another question, uh, uh, go ahead hop in, Neil. Well, I was going to say, I thought it was a great question. And then Steve could just talk about Breakthrough. And we'll do the plug, of course, for it. But they asked, what are the differences in 2.0 from Breakthrough? What compelled you to write it? And what are some of the key takeaways someone asked? Well, um, I have four, right now, four different books that are currently in print, uh, and they're all different. The, the crossover in material is pretty darn close to zero, and, and it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Uh, breakthrough two point, uh, the original breakthrough, look, over the years, the honest truth is I've turned into an author. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I am a speaker. I've spoken on five, five continents. I address in-house training with experienced people which requires a lot of different skills, but frankly, I'm a better writer than I used to be. I mean, that, that's the truth of the matter. And Breakthrough 2.0 probably contains 40% additional material beyond the original Breakthrough. I pulled out material that was, um, in some instances, that I thought I could have done better or had been duplicated in other books. Uh, the original Breakthrough had 30 pages of illustrations, uh, I, I no longer needed illustrations, so I got rid of that and, and added in some additional material, such as speeding up the hiring process, as an example. The portions on closing, uh, which were in the original breakthrough, but the chapter was easily three times as long. I'm, you know, I've expanded it a little bit. Uh, real recruiting was updated a couple of years ago, and it was. It's a great book, recommended. Uh, but if people ask me, Steve, I have the original real recruiting. Is it worth buying a new one? My answer really probably is no. It's been updated somewhat, but it's not worth buying a new one. Breakthrough 2.0 is a different book. And, and the foundation of this industry, and I'm doubling back just a little bit, truthfully is getting lots and lots of clients, lots and lots of searches. That's unlimited clients. And if I can double back one more time for managers, uh, if anybody, the, the biggest problem a manager has got in this industry, if he's in a growth mode, uh, is uh, 
figuring out who's serious about learning the industry, the cost of turnover in our industry, uh, first 90 days, 60 days, six months is astronomical. I mean, you don't even know the amount of money that's wasted because you hire someone and he doesn't turn out. There's an answer. Uh, there, there's two answers. One is there's a couple of articles on my website for managers uh, on early elimination. But a better answer is get them a copy of the book, Search and Placement, a handbook for success by Steve Finkel and Larry Nobles. And before the offer is extended, let me say that again, before the offer is extended, tell them to take this book home, read it, underline it, highlight it, be prepared to discuss it. And if they don't do it, don't hire them. You think of yourself, you got into a business, you didn't know a thing about it. And the owner said, Neil, I want you to read this book about the industry and then we'll talk about it. And you didn't do it. What would be the likelihood of your success? <laughs> Just that, that book, it, it's not the right book for an experienced person. An experienced person needs, depending on what he's looking for, unlimited clients, if he wants more clients, real recruiting, if he needs more candidates, and especially candidates he wouldn't find through LinkedIn or Boolean strings. And if he is experienced, Breakthrough 2.0. That's what an experienced person needs. But a manager can drop greatly reduced turnover with the use of that foundational book for him. Is that now, uh, it is. Well, let's do this. Um, uh, it's time for us to start wrapping up here. Uh, we're a little bit past our time. And um, and one thing I will say, though, Steve, first off, uh, if anybody here wants to purchase any of Steve's books, uh, I'd highly recommend this because I actually finished it here recently myself as well. Uh, go to stevefinkel.com, uh, and that's F-I-N-K-E-L. Not L E. I made that mistake <laughs> earlier, uh, so sorry about that. But anyway, is Amazon easier? Where do you make more money? Where do you prefer, Amazon or Steve Finkel? My own, my, you know, stevefinkel.com. Uh, Amazon. Okay. I have no, I have no comment. But but go to the website. The okay, other side of the number said, of other That's why I asked. No, enough said. Go to stevefinkel.com. Thank you very much, Neil. I appreciate that. Your check will be sent yeah. shortly. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, and, and Steve, it's been a, really an honor having you on because, again, you were one of the, the the few folks I looked up to when I first got into the business when I was a snot-nosed uh, greenhorn, didn't know a thing about recruiting. And so it really means a lot for you to come on here, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you be open to coming again to talk about the candidate side? Because I want I wanted to explore that with you. If if your uh, if your readers, uh, pardon me, if your listeners wish me to do so, I would be available. I hope. I hope my enthusiasm for this industry and my belief well, in the great Steve, future you, is coming through. You inspired. Yeah. You were one of my inspirations early on. It's what got me into the whole world. I lead, moved over to staffing. I got into back office, which the plug is anyone out there, independent recruiters, you want to use a back office. I mean, a quick plug, though, but really, I'm in this. I'm where I am today. See, I love your inscription and the and the success it meant so much to me you are and there's so many people out there steve that, that attribute their success to you are a part of my you are a part of my success and i i thank you and i'm humbled to have uh, been able to spend this time with you and to do this like thank you and uh Back office. There you go. Oh, uh, did you look at you, David? Get it, your your website. Nice. Uh, or or backofficenow.com. It doesn't make a difference. Wherever you want to go, go to if you need back office. Anyway, thank you, Steve. It's been an honor, and I do hope we get to do it again. I'm pleased to have been here. In fact, uh, if you want to download uh, Neil's uh, uh, book, uh, uh, ebook at blackofficenow.com forward slash staffing. And of course, I'll throw this in there for me as well. Um, I am ex have a, at a Black Friday sale last week. I've extended for 48 hours. Uh, you can go to realdsp.me forward slash black for 94% off my bundle of nine programs. And that is a 48 hour extension starting now. So uh, that said, stevefinkel.com go there uh buy his books get on his mailing list and one last thing steve uh and, and, and again i really appreciate you agreeing to come on again i hate to put you on the spot like that i apologize but i want to make sure i got it in um is there anything you'd like to leave us with or other or recruiters watching this the ones that are staring in the face of 2024 a little bit uh, okay this is gonna get, get kind of kind of you know uh scary what are your final thoughts to them staring at 2024 
there are answers. I mean, that's that's the real truth. There are answers. Don't say there are none. We've I think we've addressed some of them right here. You know, I mean, you, you work to get lots of clients. Uh, pardon me, to prospects. You select intelligently because less than fifty percent deal is a bad thing to work on. You find candidates that others cannot find. It's a great. It, it's a complex business. It's an intellectually challenging business, and that's that's good. It's not that for most people, but for those who are, who. Uh, who like it. Uh, it, it's extraordinarily rewarding financially. And I hope it's coming through for me. It's an emotionally rewarding business as well. It is. In fact, we've had, and look at all these comments of just uh, about, uh, you know, here's one. Finkel is the man. Thank you, John Morrison. Uh, content is gold. So yeah, all great stuff, Steve. And thank you for the, for the words of wisdom. Um, I think a lot of recruiters will do very well uh, to pay attention to some of the elders out there that have been in the business for a long, long time, uh, such as yourself and, and really only a couple <laughs> of others. Um, all right, Steve. Well, that said, it's time for us to get going here. Really appreciate it. Thank you everybody for coming in. If you are watching the replay, do me a favor, uh, comment replay for watching the replay so we can see who is watching it. Plus it'll help the good old algorithm show us some love, like comment, uh, uh, love it, hate it. We don't care. We just need your emotion because we want that emotion is to spread the word in the algorithm and get more people to uh, uh, get familiarized with Steve. And with that said, folks, that is it. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. And Steve, thank you as thank you, well. Steve. Bye, everybody. Peace Bye. out. Thank you. Thank you.